This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to have you here. My name is John, and I want to give you a really warm welcome to New Community Church. I say warm because it feels very warm in here, uh, but a very warm welcome to you, especially if it's your first time with us. Uh, I want to extend an especially warm welcome to you and hope you feel really at home this afternoon. Now, uh, I start jury service tomorrow. Anyone here done jury service before? Wow, okay, yeah, quite a lot of people, quite a few. Um, I did it seven years ago, so this is my second time, and it's crazy because some people go their whole life and never do it, and uh, I'm a bit of a veteran now, and I'll be off to Belmarsh tomorrow, off in Woolwich to, uh, to see. I did it in Nottingham before, now in uh, London, so we'll see if it's a similar sort of experience. But one thing that is quite interesting when you think about jury service is, why do they need 12 people on a jury? I mean, it would be a lot cheaper and a lot simpler if it was just one person. If it was just one person, I mean, to be honest, I don't really want to do jury service. It's not ideal timing. I'd prefer to, you know, especially when you work at a church, taking off the first two weeks of December, it's not ideal. So why don't they just save us all a bit of hassle and just have one person on the jury? It'd make it a lot easier, right? Well, the reason that they have 12 people is that there's an understanding that when we are on our own, when we are isolated, we often don't make the best decisions. And so when it comes to trying to work out uh, whether someone is guilty or not guilty, it's a pretty big deal. And the best way to get there, not the perfect way, but the best way to do it is not to just have kind of one person from the public off the street, but to have a group of people, a diverse group of people, because we realize that we're at our best when we work together, when we're in community. We're social beings. We as human beings are wired for community. That's how we're made. We're drawn to one another. It's in our DNA. I mean, you can see it in so many different signs in the way in which we interact. Like, have you noticed how kind of interesting and funny it is that we often, when we see someone else yawn, we yawn ourselves? Have you noticed that? We, like, scientists don't even fully understand why, although I read something somewhere that if you don't yawn when someone else yawns, apparently that's a sign you're a psychopath. So <laughs> maybe be looking out today, see if anyone sat near you is a potential psychopath. <laughs> Or another thing is, is fascinating is that we are 30 times more likely to laugh at something if we're with other people than when we're on our own. The exact same thing, but we're 30 times more likely to laugh at it if we're with other people. It's why comedy is so much funnier when you're with other people. It's in our DNA. Community is how we're hardwired. And that's why loneliness, isolation, a lack of community is so bad for us. It's so detrimental even to our physical well-being. In fact, it's been recently calculated that the effects of isolation are so bad for your body that it's the equivalent, being isolated, it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's how much it impacts us physically. This thing that you think, well, that's just a social or a mental thing. No, it's so in our DNA to need community that a lack of it physically harms us. Isn't that crazy? Here's another interesting fact. Our SoundCloud, our, our church website where we upload all our sermons, the most listened to sermon for New Community Church on SoundCloud 
is a sermon called How Not to Be Lonely. How Not to Be Lonely. That's the most listened to sermon on our church's list of sermons. Wasn't happy, it wasn't one of mine, but I'll get over it. That's okay. It's in our DNA to need community. And that is because we are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. We heard about this during our worship time. We are made in the image of the God who is what theologians call the triune God, the Holy Trinity, three in one. One God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, perfectly united, three persons, loving each other in perfect unity since eternity past and into eternity present. Now, we're made in his image, and so like God, we are relational. It's why when God made Adam in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time, when Adam was on his own, what did God say? It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. That is bad. It's the first negative thing we read of in the whole Bible. It's not good for man to be alone, to be isolated. And so what did God do? He created Eve. He created community, family. And experiencing community has, has always been a challenge, but I'd say over the last hundred years, it's pretty safe to say that uh, living out and experiencing community has become harder and harder. Isolation has become greater and greater, and there's all sorts of reasons for that, whether it be things like how we no longer often grow up and kind of live the rest of our lives in the same town or area as our parents. For centuries, for millennia, the norm was you live in the same place as your grandparents' grandparents, and everyone knows everyone, there's community. But now, through the ability to travel and do different jobs, we often live in places far from where our families live, like myself, my family in Somerset, my brother over in America, and me here in Sidcup. Other things that have affected it. The breakdown of different institutions. For example, I was chatting to a guy yesterday uh, who's in his 90s, and he was talking about he loves football. And he said, you know, when I was younger, there were so many football teams and leagues. He said even the banks had leagues. There were tons of teams. And after you play, you didn't just rush home like they do now. You'd go to the pub and have a drink with the opposition. And it was just so normal. And he's like, now I often can't go to a match on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon because so many leagues have shut down. And matches get cancelled all the time because a team can't even get 11 players to show up. Church is closing down. The norm for many people for many years to go to church. The numbers attending dropping rapidly in our country. And the world has moved online with technology again. If you wanted to play football back in the day, you had to go and be with physical people in a physical place. Now, if you want to play football with your mates, you can go sit in your bedroom, put on your console, and play from miles away. And the interaction, the kind of people skills, the embodied community that we need and we're wired for is all of a sudden split out and separated. Now, isolation and a, a breakdown of community has been a problem for many, many years. And we see it especially in cities like ours where there's few interactions. People don't talk to their neighbours. Even this afternoon on the way to church, uh, me and Catherine were walking from our flat to our car park behind the, the flats. And one of our neighbours, who we haven't met yet, we thought, oh, this is nice. Let's you know, say hi and smile. We were about to pass her, so we smiled and were about to wave. And she looked away and, and walked in a different direction to avoid us. 
And you might say, to be fair, I would do the same to you, John. And that, okay, fair enough. But isn't that interesting? That is our society. We love to avoid interaction. We love to avoid one another. At my, my previous house, I hosted a party with uh, two housemates, and we invited some neighbors around. And we, we started chatting, and at one point, I introduced two of the neighbors on our little row of terraces where we lived. And the fascinating thing about this, and I will never forget it, is that these two neighbors who I in, uh, introduced to each other had never met each other. And not had they only never met each other, they didn't even recognize each other's faces. They said, I've never seen you around here before. And the mad thing about that is they live four houses apart and have lived in their houses for 30 years. 30 years, a matter of meters away from someone else, over 10,000 days, and they never even recognize each other's faces. That's the state of the area that you and I live. So this is already a huge issue, and the last 20 months have just poured fuel on the fire. It's absolutely poured fuel on the fire. See, if at the beginning of humanity, the message was, it is not good for man to be alone, in 2020, in 2021, the message has been, it is good for man to be alone. That's been the message, and perhaps understandably so in response to trying to you know, attack this virus. But the message has been, it is good for man to be alone. To love others, you must stay apart. Our DNA that says, in crisis, come together, has, has to be uh, challenged with a no, no, stay apart. Don't hug and hold one another. Don't gather together, be apart. Now, of course, we have had to take drastic steps to fight this virus. This isn't me giving any sort of political statement, but it's important that as we look at where we are as a nation, as we've tried to find a cure and a response, we look at the side effects, and especially the effects it's had on community. See, our brains are wired, they're designed for social interaction and social nearness. But instead for 20 months, instead of intimacy, we've had to rewire it with this message of isolation and distance. I spoke to someone recently who said that they hadn't been in a shop or anyone else's house for over 20 months. That's not normal, it's not natural, it's not how we were wired. Yes, it may have been necessary for many, but that's not normal, it's not healthy. I remember uh, seeing a, uh, walking down an aisle in, in Lidl, shout out to my Lidl fans out there, and I was walking down um, the, uh, the cereal aisle, and uh, a, a lady was walking towards me, and as she spotted me, all of a sudden she rapidly turned to put her back to me, and she pressed herself up against the cereal as hard as she could to make as much distance as she could between her and me. Now, obviously, I don't know her story, I don't know what's going on at home, but we find ourselves in the situation where people are the threat, are the problem. And of course, much of this, it could be argued, has been required, but it's important to be aware of how our brains are being rewired in our current climate. It's not a surprise that as a result of all that's going on, we're increasingly seeing the stories and stats that reveal how detrimental all of this has been to our mental health. It's been devastating. And it makes sense because we're trying to rewire how we're designed to be. 
our social fabric, our way of interacting, having to change all of these things. And that's why, as a church, we've been going through this Redig the Well series, because we recognize that right now, everything in society is being discussed and changed, and it's up in the air, and there's this rewiring taking place. And as a church, it's important that as all of that is happening, we're grounding ourselves in the truth of who God is and who he's called us to be. And one of the key passages we've been looking at over the past, I don't know, it feels like years now, this series, but however many months it's been. In fact, next week is the last Redig the Well series. Ah, not too many people upset about that, but it will, next week's going to be a good one. But it's almost over, and it will be sad because this has been so helpful for us. And the passage we keep coming back to uh, is Acts chapter 2. And the reason we do that is we're trying to look at what was the early church like. You say, well, who cares about what a church 2,000 years ago looked like? Well, the reason we do that is because the people in the early church, in this chapter we're going to look at, they had been with Jesus. They had been with the one who the church is built on. They'd seen how he lived, how he loved, how he cared for the lost, how he shared his message. And so the early church was based on what Jesus' kind of blueprint plan was, not just for them, but for us over 2,000 years later. So that's why we keep redigging the well in this passage, and we're going to read it again today. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 onwards. And I just want to ask you, when, when we're going through it, see if you can spot how many times community and togetherness are mentioned in just this Space of a few verses. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came among, upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this description of church sounds amazing. I would love to be in this kind of community. And the reason we quote this passage is because this is what we long to see, we would love to see in our day, in our time. This isn't just describing a really good club or a really good political organization or a decent event. No, this is a God-infused community seeing signs and wonders, people selling their possessions and giving lavishly to one another, people being saved and added. This was a family on a mission, a family, a close-knit, loving family on a mission to share the good news, a family on a mission And we read those verses, and we we love those verses. We love that picture. If you've been in the church for several, many, whatever years, you would have heard this quoted time and time again. 
So why is it that when we read that, we're like, yes, I'll take it, I want that, I want that, give it to me, I'll have it. But often our lives in our church doesn't always line up with what we read there. Why is being a family on a mission often so challenging? Well, let's take a look. First of all, let's look at what it means to be family, the family part of family on a mission. What would you say church, when you ask people in our nation at what church is, what has it become? Well, for many people, church is something that happens on a Sunday morning. Church happens in a building. It's an event. People come, they sit, they listen, they go home, and then they might come back next week if they want. It's up to them, but it's an event. Now, does that sound like, does 90 minutes on a Sunday sound anything at all like what we just read about in Acts 2? No, not even close. Let's look again at what it says in those verses. It says that they were family. They were devoted. They were fellowship. They had all things in common. They were giving lavishly to those in need. Day by day attending worship. Together at the temple and breaking bread in homes. See, when we read that passage, what's clear is that they had something so valuable, so worthwhile, that they shifted their whole timetable, their whole finances, all of their priorities around it. Now, that to me doesn't sound anything like an hour and a half gathering on the odd weekend. Well, as long as I haven't got anything else already in the diary. What's it say in verse 46? Well, it says that they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Now, why is that significant? Well, there's a lot of debate about, you know, is is church kind of uh, a Sunday thing or maybe we need house church, all these kind of things. Well, I think that these verses are so helpful because they say to us that they attended the temple together. It shows that there is value to the Sunday gathering, what we're doing now to come together corporately, to have these times of worship and times of uh, listening to teaching and preaching and equipping for the rest of our lives. There's a place for this, an important place. But notice how it wasn't just that. It wasn't just the Sunday gathering, the weekend gathering. It says that they were breaking bread in their homes. See, Sundays are important. But what happens in smaller contexts, in smaller gatherings, in our homes, is also vital. That's where in community we live out what we hear on the Sunday, where we discuss what has has been shared, where we support one another, where we share our lives, where we cry together and laugh together and pray together and, and really live life together in the ways in which on a Sunday we really can't do. And that's why, as a church, we make such an emphasis on community. You might watch the One Church News and you think, oh, here we go again. They're going to do the newcom.church forward slash community section, like, you know, switch off during that bit. But why do we do that? Because community is so, 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 so important to being a believer of Christ, to being part of the family of God. In Ephesians 2, it it says this. Listen to how it describes us as church. Listen to how different it is to just attendees to a Sunday gathering. 
Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And listen to this verse, Romans 12, 15. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, does this sound like it's describing attendees of a Sunday gathering? No, no. This is incredible language. It's saying that if you are part of the church, you are a fellow citizen, a saint, a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God. When you gather with your community, it might just feel like some odd people sat around on sofas having a discussion, but it is far bigger than that. As you gather, you are a dwelling place of the creator of all things. God is amongst you in your home as you break bread. And this is talking about family, about family, brothers and sisters, mums and dads, a loving family. We need each other as family. And it's why in recent weeks we've been talking so much about wanting to be an intergenerational people. And the key verse for us, we heard it again in our worship, is Psalm 145 verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now, we live in a time that says you should reject those who have come before. There isn't a, a lot of kind of respect and connection between younger and older generations. That's a real tragedy in our society. But what this verse reminds us is that we need one another. See, all of us, and, and, and this is something you know, I, I found in my own life, we naturally want to just spend time with people like us. It's just easier, isn't it? For people who've got the same interests, the same life stage, you don't kind of have to explain yourself. It's less awkward. But if we live that way, we miss out so much on what God has for us as family. There's this research organization called Barna. They're this amazing Christian organization that just study lots of Christian phenomena. And, and they, they were trying to find out what makes a resilient disciple, what makes a young person grow up and then leave home and become an adult and still remain a Christian when so many don't. And they found different characteristics of what led to some walking away and some continuing the course. And, one, and I was, this was the one that surprised me most. One of the, I think, four or five things, that traits they found that were part of a resilient disciple was intergenerational relationships. Having a connection with someone older was one of the key reasons someone built a resilient faith. See, this is, I'll be honest, this is a journey I really am on myself. It's something I've been convicted about and really feel like I, I need to take more steps in. Like, I, I love socializing, but... Often it is with people who are just like me. Last night, Catherine and I were hanging out with Dio and Yemi, a couple from the church. Very different uh, to me and Catherine in our life stage and background and all that kind of stuff. And on paper, we don't really have anything in common. 
But as we just spent time together and asked them questions about parenting and culture and all these different things, the richness, the, the, the blessing of being with someone so different and a different generation was great. It wasn't the awkward, oh, are we going to get on kind of moment. It was great. It was fun. We laughed a lot and we learned a lot. And I've loved over the last few weeks just seeing these kind of things happening more in the church. Like even amongst this 330 congregation, I know people have been organizing walks, going on walks with all sorts of different people and apparently loads of dogs as well by the sound of it. People as well starting to mentor. Like I love hearing about people saying, I'm going to mentor one of the students. And then students saying, I'm going to mentor one of the young people and sign up for the kids' work intergenerational friendships beginning. People saying, you know, I, after the meeting, I see all the kind of the young, trendy people, and I feel nervous walking up to them because I'm twice their age. But last week, I went for it, and I spoke to someone, and no one died, and it was fun, and we had a good chat. Just stories like that of people saying, look, I, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone, and I'm going to start trying to live this out. Yeah. It's been so cool to see. And good on you if you've been giving that a go, because I know it's not easy. It feels like we're starting to discover this more and more. Now, many would say, look, I get community. I'm bored with it. I'm okay with it. I'm on board. (laughs) (laughs) I was jumping ahead. You're about to hear about the boredom in a sec. So why do we find it so difficult? Well, the first one is it takes effort. It does take effort. I don't know if you remember at the start of lockdown, there was a lot that was terrible, but there was something that I loved, which is just that the calendar just became completely empty. Like, it feels like a long time ago now, but wasn't it nice just not having to feel the pressures to have to be at so many things? It's just so nice, and even as someone who's a massive extrovert, like, it was just nice for a while to not have to worry about all the commitments. But now as life is gradually starting to get a bit more normal, things start getting added into the diary and someone says, hey, let's hang out. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm free in 2024. Like I've got a space. And and it's like people are saying, hey, can you do this and help with that and surf here and join my community? And you're like, really commit to something every week? I'm not really sure if I'm, I'm ready for that. I can be bothered with that. My life is busy. And the truth is, anything that, takes, that, that is valuable takes effort. I'm not going to lie to you and say, hey, community is easy. Sometimes it's real hard work. Sometimes you just have to turn up when you don't feel like it. When you're feeling like you've had a long day and you can't be bothered. Community takes effort. But we have an opportunity in our society that is incredibly flaky that says you can drop people at you know, any moment's notice. We have an opportunity to model community that says, I care about these people, not because they're my family in, in the kind of the natural sense, but I care about this family of God so much that I will make the effort to be there for them, whether I feel like it or not. Another reason we often object or find community hard is community can be awkward. Community can be awkward. Now, you might have had it where uh, you were in a, a really uh, easy community. You met together every week, and you loved it. And then things, for whatever reason, changed. Maybe you got too big, or the leaders uh, kind of moved away, or whatever it was, and you had to change. And then you joined a community. And there's some weirdos in that community. 
they're some awkward people and they dominate the conversation and they take it in weird directions and you're like looking at someone else like, did they really say that? And look, I've been there. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, you're the weirdo in my group, John. Fair enough, fair enough. But I'm not going to lie. Family can be awkward. We've all got awkward family members. <laughs> Maybe yours is sat next to you. <laughs> but family can be awkward. But what binds us together is not our preferences, our personalities that we naturally gel. That's why this is a great community. Now, what binds us together is our common love. We come together in the love and worship of Jesus. That's what binds us together. That's what bound me and Catherine to die and Yemi last night. Not that we're, we have things in common, no, but that we are under the blood of Christ. It's why I, I, this, I haven't ever done this before, but this year our community has started taking communion every time we gather. And it's been so, so helpful. Why? Because it puts at the center the thing that should be at the center. Every time we gather, before we have our meal, the first thing we do, and we try to do it relatively quickly so the food doesn't get cold, uh, but we take enough time that we really do get what's happening. We take communion. We have the bread and the wine, and we fix our eyes on Jesus. So whatever comes after, whatever sadnesses and sorrows and discussions and debates, it's all fixed on the central thing of Jesus. I'd encourage you to do it if you haven't tried it at your community. Another thing that can put us off community is past experiences. Some of you would say, look, I, I get what you're saying about community, John, but I tried it and I got hurt. I tried to get to know people and then these people who claim to be Christians hurt me. And it's just easier having a more controlled thing on a Sunday and trying to get to know people. Like, I, I don't know if I want to go down that route again. And if that's you, I'm sorry. I've experienced that feeling myself. Some of the deepest wounds I've ever experienced were from brothers and sisters in Christ. But a, a quote that helped me more than any to process that and work out how to live, even after having been hurt, is a great one by C.S. Lewis. And he says this, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. When Jesus called us to love our neighbor, to love one another, he knew that it would come with risk, with pain. The truth is, if you're wanting a risk-free life where you'll never be hurt, you can choose that way, but you'll never experience love. You'll never have community. I can't guarantee you that you won't be hurt again in community. But what I can guarantee is if you avoid community, if you avoid intimacy, that will be far worse than ever being hurt in trying to love someone. To love is to be vulnerable. 
So that's what it means to be family. What about to be on mission? Family on a mission. Well, what is our mission? Well, it's important to start with there. Jesus tells us the mission. The great uh, commission is what we call it, and it's found in Matthew 28. And this is what Jesus said. He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said, go, go. Do you know what I wish he said? Stay, stay. I wish he said, stay in your church. Stay in the upper room. Stay in your house. Stay in your safety. And do you know what? Everyone will come to you if you just stay. I would have preferred that. I would have preferred that yesterday afternoon when me and Catherine were trying to psych ourselves up to go and knock on our neighbors' doors. We were like, we're going to give them Christmas cards in chocolate. And we planned to do it in the morning, and we just found ourselves procrastinating and procrastinating. And it's just, you know, in our little flat, 12 flats, and uh, we just said, look, <laughs> we don't really feel confident to do this, do we? And you might be like, what? Like, you guys are extroverts, and you know, you, you're, you know, you're professional Christians, you know, you work for the church. Like, this should be your bread and butter. This is easy. I was nervous. Catherine was nervous. It was, it was a scary thought knocking on their neighbors. We tried it once before in the neighbor's office, and I'll just keep their blind close the whole time. <laughs> so the track record ain't great. <laughs> we are nervous. So he prayed, and I, I would have preferred in that moment that I said, hey, it's okay, we don't need to go, we can just stay, our neighbors will knock on our door. But we went for it, the first neighbors didn't answer, the second did, and they invited us in for a cup of tea, and we were chatting for an over an hour and had an amazing conversation that, in the end, we had to cut short because we had plans. It was amazing. Now, it would have been easier to stay, but in going, we got to experience a picture of what God is wanting to do in us and through us. See, we are a family. We talk about being family, but as family, let's not get it twisted. We are not a closed-off kind of family that says, hey, look, we're done now. Shut the doors like we've got our, our quota. No, we're a family that's always looking to grow and change. And that's important as communities because if we don't have that mindset, what happens is we become holy huddles. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's the, the community where it's, like, it's all about us. It's all about our needs and our issues. And, and uh, it's great. We have great times of prayer. But the problem is it gets stagnant. Because you don't want people really to become Christians and add it to the group because that would mean having to multiply and then there's change. And it's just nice how we have it. It's just nice. We've met for years. We don't really want to change. But think about the early church. They could have said, oh, this is amazing. Like, we got our ticket. We're here. We're ha- like, let's not go out. I mean, I don't know if you've heard, but they're persecuting people when they tell, like, let's just keep quiet and do our thing because we get on so well. No, God added to their number daily, and there would have been constant change. People in and out and multiplication. In fact, you could argue if things aren't growing and changing, then they're not healthy. And the amazing thing with being on mission is that actually it helps you develop friendships. 
It helps you to grow deeper when you actually have a common goal. Like, for example, if you were to talk to uh, some of the guys down at Albany Park who are doing a great job there trying to reach their community, they would tell you that through trying to reach their neighbors in neighborhood, they've grown closer together. And having that outward focus, it hasn't divided a relationship, it's strengthened them. Because when we're on mission, we grow together. It's why as a community, we've, we've decided that because this isn't just in our natural, you know, kind of uh, comfort zones, rather than meet every week, we meet for three weeks, and on the fourth week, we don't meet together, but instead we invite neighbors and friends who don't know Jesus yet over for dinner. Now, that's not the only time we can hang out with people who don't know Jesus, but we say if we don't have that in the diary, it's likely to not happen. So the week before it happens, we pray for the people we're wanting to invite. And then the week after, we share how it went and thank God and pray some more. It's been great. It's been great to have that focus. And one thing just, you might have heard us talk about quite a lot recently that I want to address again is this whole thing of being local. Now, mission isn't just about talking to your neighbors and neighborhoods, but there is something about reaching the place where you live. In Acts 17, verse 26, 26, it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And this is the key bit. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. It's basically saying that you live where you live for a particular purpose, for a particular time, for a particular reason. You might say, well, this just feels really random. Like, why am I here? Like, this is, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to be here long term. But God has put you where you live to reach those around you. It's not an accident. You're not there for no reason. There's something about saying, look, this is my patch. These streets, these schools, these people, these neighbors, this neighborhood, this is my patch. This is where I want to see the kingdom of God advance. And we've got great opportunities to reach our neighbors, to reach those around us. You might think, I I don't know where to start. Well, it can just be as simple as inviting someone over for a coffee, knocking on their door and giving a Christmas card. This isn't the norm in our society. I heard a story of someone in our church a couple weeks ago invited someone over for dinner, someone who's who's been in the country for a few years, And this person came over for dinner, and they said to my friends, this is the first time in the years that I've lived in Britain that any British person has invited me into their house. Been here for years. This isn't the norm, church. Spoke to another person who said, "Um, I got a call recently from uh, a neighbor who's just been through a painful breakup, and they got in touch with me to talk about it. And the interesting thing is, I don't even think we're that close. But to them, there isn't really anyone in their life who shows interest or kindness. And so I was the first person they got in touch with. This isn't the norm, church. To show kindness and love isn't the norm. To care for our neighbors isn't the norm. And we have an incredible opportunity to share the love of Jesus with a world, with our neighbors who so desperately need it. See, the Bible says, Jesus promises that the harvest is plentiful. That means that there are people who God has ordained to know him, that we have been sent to reach. The harvest is plentiful. There is still a hunger in souls. 
Despite what it might look like from the outside, there is still a hunger within people that says, surely this can't be all there is. Even with all we have, surely this can't be it. The harvest is plentiful, and let it never be said of New Community Church that the laborers are few. So in the coming weeks, it's why we want to just keep talking about and focusing on community, about local, about reaching our neighbors. And for this to happen, we'll need to start new communities. Let me let you into a little secret. If everyone today went onto a newcom.church forward slash community to sign up for a community, we would have way less communities than would be needed for everyone in our church to join one. We've got far too few. Which means we need different people to say, I want to lead a local family in my area to reach our neighborhood with the gospel of Jesus. It's going to take men and women, even those who say, look, I I don't know if I've been a Christian for as long as you're meant to be, but I have a passion for my neighborhood, and I want to be part of them being reached with the gospel. Men and women stepping up and saying, I'm tired of seeing the pain and the brokenness around me, and I want to make a difference, and I want to draw people into a community that can make the change. That's what we're going to need. Everyone playing their part as we go out into our neighborhoods. Now, let me just be really clear. None of us can save anyone. You or I, we can't force anyone to be saved. Only God can save. In that passage we read in Acts, it said, and God added to them daily. We can't bring revival. There isn't some special formula, and then revival will break out. But we can do something. As was brought in our worship, God makes us his ambassadors. We can structure our lives and our time and our words and everything we do as a way to invite the presence of God and the kingdom of God into every place we go. We're not bystanders, not attendees. If you're visiting today, it's amazing to have you here. But if you're someone who calls this church your family, you're, you're not just an attendee. You are an ambassador of Christ in this church and in this area. Now, let's just talk really plainly. The church, church attendance in the UK is plummeting. You might kind of come to a church like this and be like, well, it looks, you know, we're doing okay, like we're doing all right. Well, a lot of that is because lots of people from lots of different churches have joined us, and lots of churches around our nation are closing down. And the last two years has accelerated that process more than ever. Now, just having a mildly entertaining gathering on a Sunday is not worth fighting for. Don't waste your time with that. If church is just an event on a Sunday, then let it die. Let it die. And don't mourn its death. But if church is something else, if it's the blood bore, cherished and treasured bride of Christ, if it is the house of the living God, if it is truly a people made up of every tribe and tongue, if it is truly the hope of the world, if we are truly children of the living God, carriers of the way, the truth, and the life, then that is something worth fighting for. 
That is something worth laying your life down for. That is something worthy of all your time, all your talent, and all your treasure. That is the church that we dream of and pray for and hope to be one day. Church is not an event. Church is family. Church is community. Family on a mission. And that mission is sharing the breathtakingly good news of Jesus to our neighbors, to our friends, and to our family members. That is what the church is. And we're just going to finish by praying. And I'd just like to invite you to, to stand with me if you're able to. And we're going to pray for each of our neighbors and neighborhoods right now. So if I could just invite you just as we um, pray, just to close your eyes. And what I want you to do is I want you to picture your neighborhood. That might be your block of flats. It might be your terrace, your cul-de-sac, your street. Just want you to picture it right now in your mind's eye. And if you know any of your neighbors, I want you to picture your neighbors. Behind each door, an image bearer of God. Behind each door, someone who God has made and formed who is only complete when they know the love of their father. Behind each door, people experiencing pain, some deeply isolated, some not even having had human contact for days. God has placed you where you are to bring his kingdom there. So right now, each one of us, let's lift our neighborhoods to God. Lord, we lift these people to you. We lift our neighbors, our neighborhoods to you right now. God, we long, we long to see your kingdom break out in our neighborhoods. We long to see your kingdom break out, your healing, your restoration, your salvation, your hope. Do it, God. Use us, Lord. Help us. Give us courage to step out our comfort zones, to knock on doors, to smile, even when we've been rejected once and twice, to keep on engaging. God, we thank you that we don't go in our own strength, but we go in the power of the sovereign God, ambassadors of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we long to see the day where our neighbors are in this room, when our neighbors are our community groups, where we can have communion with our friends and family members who don't yet know you. 
Thank you, God, that there is still a hunger. The harvest is still plentiful. And may we be your workers, Lord. Thank you, you use us and you go with us. Thank you for this adventure that we get to go on with you. We love you, Lord. Amen.